want you to really ponder this with me today. Do you believe that God has a special place for you? Do you understand that each and every one of us, that means every person in this room, has a special God-given destiny? In fact, do you get that God delights, and I mean He, he, he gets excited, He delights in using the small, the weak, the seemingly insignificant to do great things for Him? I hope by the time we leave today that you'll believe that better than you do right now. Let's pray again together. Father, I ask you to help me today as we look at your word, as we look at the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus, that you would enlarge our hearts, that you'd open our eyes, and that you really would help us to see what you want to do through us, and that you do delight, God, in using weak vessels for great things. Thank you for that truth. Make that true in our hearts now, I pray in Jesus' name. If you got your Bible, I encourage you to open up to Luke chapter 1, first chapter of the book of Luke. And there's an outline in your uh, bulletin if you'd like to pull that out as well. The beat in the outline today says this, God has more for us than we tend to understand or accept. I believe that. I talk to people all the time. And I hear all the time, oh, God could use me, I guess. Or surely God wants to use so-and-so more than me. Or I don't have much to offer. Or I don't really know. And we have this question about our value, our worth in the kingdom. God has more for us than we tend to understand or accept. He delights in using the least and loves to surprise us with His plans. And the Bible is full, I mean full, of examples of this truth. But I don't think there's any greater example of this than the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus, here in Luke chapter 1. So let's take a look at it together. together. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, In the sixth month God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, it's not every day an angel shows up. And when an angel shows up and speaks to you, that's even a little bit more disturbing. She was greatly troubled here. Verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Verse 34. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I want you to remember that. For nothing is impossible with God. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Here's what I love about this story. is that God picked a simple, uneducated, teenage, she was probably uh, in her early teens, but a simple, uneducated teenage peasant from the backwoods of Galilee to be the mother of the Messiah. He chose the least. He chose the small, the unimportant, at least by the cultural standards of that day, for something amazing, for something awesome, and for something great. But what I want you to see today is this is what God does. It's what He loves to do. I want you to try and imagine, just for a moment, what Mary would have felt like. Imagine her experience. Who knows what she's doing? I don't 
washing clothes, cleaning dishes, working around the house, sitting, reading poetry. We don't know. But whatever she's doing, suddenly the angel Gabriel shows up. And, and again, keep in mind, she's a country girl uh, from a small town and really nobody special by everyone's definition. And yet God chose, sends the angel to show up and to speak to her, which is why she's stunned and shocked by the pronouncement of the angel Gabriel. She knew who she was. She knew where she was from. Nazareth, by the way, was the small town. In fact, historians estimate that it had at the most probably 2,000 people in it. So a small town, nowhere, just out in the middle of the boondocks, nowhere on the world map. But she knew who she was. She knew where she was from. She also knew that she was a virgin. She was engaged to Joseph, but she know, knew that she'd never known, in the biblical sense, never known a man. She knew who she was, and she knew who she wasn't. But despite what she knew and understood about herself, in the end, Mary embraced God's plan and humble acceptance of His will. In your life, right now, right where you're at, in your experience, when God surprises you with the unexpected, and He has and He will, when He surprises you with that thing that you didn't expect, that thing you didn't see coming, with the unexpected, when He reveals His plan or His purpose for you, how be it small or large, or however you would define it, but when He shows you something that He wants you to do, do you respond, no way! You know, God, I can't believe how good you are. That's amazing. That's, that's unbelievable that you would choose me. Or, no way! Not going to happen, God. I'm not interested. And the question again for us is, would you and I respond the way Mary did? Would we respond the way she did? I think there's some lessons we can learn from her example, at least two things today that I want you to get. So what do you do when surprised by God? First thing, number one, learn to see things from God's perspective. What do you do when God blows your socks off, when He just surprises you? Well, first thing we've got to learn to do is see things from God's perspective. Mary was at first greatly troubled by His words. And then she questioned, how can this be? Now, she may have been simple. She may have been young, young, but she wasn't stupid. She's thinking, wait a minute, time out. Her first reaction was pretty normal. I don't get how this is going to happen. This doesn't make any sense. This isn't possible. At first, she did what you and I tend to do. And let's be honest, this is what we tend to do. She saw things from a human perspective. That's what we do. We tend to look at things from a human view. She evaluated the information from this human point of view. And so do we. All too often, that's the way we look at life, just from our view. But you see, God does things. And He sees things from a completely different point of view. From a completely different viewpoint. I mean, it should be obvious to us that God's perspective is bigger. That it's unlimited. That He sees things we don't see. And that His view of us and His plans for us Therefore, it can be pretty shocking at times when he begins to reveal them. When I was 19 years old, I had a plan for my life. had nothing to do with being a pastor. I did not want to be a pastor. In fact, I grew up in a pastor's home and told God I'd do anything but be a pastor. And one of the reasons why I didn't want to be a pastor was because I hate public speaking. I used to take F on oral book reports in high school because I hated I would just get deathly ill and... And not I lose sleep. I mean, it's like, no, God, that ain't going to work. Because I don't like to talk in front of people. You know, it's like, that's not going to work, God. But God revealed His plan and showed me what He wanted to do and said, Kurt, it's going to be okay. I'll be with you. I've got a friend who's a brilliant scientist. This guy's one of the smartest guys I know. Works for a development laboratory in San Diego. 
And when he was in college, he saw his life going a different direction, saw himself doing different things and being involved in different areas. And now he works for this firm, and, and uh, he's wrestled at times with his purpose in life. But now, and it's so great to see that God's begun to reveal to him, I've got you right where I want you, and what you're doing is, 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 is important to me. In fact, he's developing things that will have help tens of thousands of people. He's beginning to see things from a different perspective. I know a woman who works as a teacher at junior high and school district in Portland, Oregon. And she uh, literally impacts the lives of, of hundreds of kids and has. And uh, she, because in public school, she can't openly talk about uh, her faith or about Jesus Christ. But you know what? Every one of those kids know that she loves Jesus. They see it in her. They know that she's different, that she loves them and loves God. And the irony in this story is that she was one of those people who really struggled in school, couldn't wait to get out of school. And so, you know, she finally gets done. And what does God say? He does one of these. I got a great idea. I want you to spend the rest of your life in school. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's what I have for you. She's discovered and is discovering God's purpose for her. And sometimes it's a surprise and it's the unexpected. But God often does things and sees things from a completely different point of view. Mary thought, who am I? How can this be? But God chose her. One of my favorite stories is in Judges chapter 6. You don't have to turn there, but I'll, I'll paraphrase. It's about a guy named Gideon. You've probably read it. Many of you have. But, ju- uh, but Judges is the story of, of uh, God you know, delivering the people of Israel. They blow it. They get in trouble. He sends somebody to help them. They get out of trouble. They, things go well for a while. And then, then they walk away from God again. And this is a recurring, depressing sort of story about how the Israelites keep blowing it and God keeps sending people to save them. And one of the guys that God sent was this guy named Gideon. Now, if you remember the story, when God came to Gideon, you know, again, to an angel, he said, hey, I've got this you know, great plan. In fact, God is with you, you mighty men of valor. And Gideon is, at that time, threshing out wheat in a wine press. He's hiding from his enemies is what he's doing. And God says, Gideon, I've got this great plan for you. And what does Gideon reply? He says, oh, no, 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 no. I am the least in my family, and my family is the least in all our families. I'm a nobody, God. You've picked the wrong guy. But then I love what God said. He said, through the angel, God said to him, no, you and I can do this together. God chose Gideon. God chose Mary. No one from nowhere. He chose Gideon. And he chose a guy named Saul, who became later the Apostle Paul. And listen to what he said in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But, look at verse 10, I love this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. What's he saying? He's saying, God chose me. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Paul also wrote these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He said, For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But look at it. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. Verse 30, 
It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. What's Paul saying here? He's saying that God chooses the foolish. He chooses the weak. He chooses the lowly and the despised. He chooses people just like you and me. It's what he does best. It's one of the things he loves to do most. God says, listen, I have got a plan for you. Don't look at yourself the way you've been looking at yourself. Don't look at yourself the way others may look at you. Understand that I have chosen you. And have you noticed that God often calls us to something outside of our comfort zone? Have you noticed that, anyone? It's like, you know, we finally get to this point where we've got something figured out. I know how to do this, and I can do this pretty well. And we're kind of, you know, satisfied or pleased with that reality. And so we're thinking, here I am, God, use me here because I'm ready. I got it all together now. And God goes, really glad you've got that part of your life figured out. But I want you to do this. And it's completely outside of. Anybody ever had that experience with God? I want you to do this completely outside of what you're comfortable with. I want to call you to a different realm, the realm of the impossible. Why? Why does God do it that way? Because he wants to demonstrate his power through us to a waiting and a watching world. You see, if you're just doing what you're good at doing, and people look at you and say, boy, look at that person's good at that, and they're doing good at that because they're good at doing that. That's what they do. They're good at that. Then where does God get the credit? Where does God get the glory for that? But when he picks you to do something way outside of your comfort zone, way beyond your ability, your skills, your talents, your natural gifts, and not to say that he ignores those, but when he does call you to that thing way outside of what you normally would do, and you do it, and you engage and you follow him, what happens? God gets the glory. He delights in using our smallness so that people will be drawn to his greatness. I want to say that again. God delights. He delights in using our smallness so that people will be drawn to his greatness. He takes the crippled lamb in us. And you know what? I've learned something in my 48 years on this planet is that every one of us has a crippled lamb inside. Even if we hide it pretty well, even if we don't let people see it very often, there's a part of us, every one of us, that, that's, that's crippled, that's broken, that's not all that we want it to be. And we tend to do this with that part of our lives. But God takes the crippled lamb in us and he says, you know what? I can use that. I can use you. I have a special plan and purpose for those who feel left out, for those who feel inadequate and less. Watch and see what I can do through you. I've told the story of the, the shells. It's kind of become known as that, the story of the shells before. And from time to time I will tell it again because it so vividly reminds me, us, of this reality. I was running on the beach in uh, Oregon, Cannon Beach, one of my favorite places to go in all the world. And I'm on the beach there, running in front of Haystack Rock. Anybody been there before? It's just beautiful. And uh, it's a early morning tides out, and there's a lot of shells. And so I think, oh, that's kind of cool because, you know, I mean, I've got lots of seashells. We've got quite a collection at home. But I thought, well, Laura will like some more. I'll pick some more up. So I'm running along, and, and I picked up, you know, some shells, and I've got two or three in my hand, and this is one of them that, you know, look pretty good. It's complete. It's full. And I thought, cool. So I've got a couple in my hand, running along. And then I reached down, and I picked one out of the sand that looked like it was a great shell. It was this one here. And, 
and it was buried in the sand, half of it was, so that when I reached down and picked it up, uh, at, at first I thought it was a great shell, and as I pulled it out, I realized that it was broken. You can't really see it very well, but it's only half a shell. And he goes, I did what you would do. I didn't keep it. <laughs> it's broken. You know, it's not the thing I'm looking for. So I chucked it and just kept running. I'm maybe 10 yards. You know, I'm so fast. I'm probably 10 yards down. <laughs> I know. Why are you laughing? I'm, I'm beyond that shell that I chucked. And I mean, not in an audible voice, but I hear it so clearly. God says, go back and pick that shell up. Now, I don't know about you, but when those thoughts kind of come through your mind, and you know it's God because you wouldn't think that normally, and you just have that sense you know it's God. And it's like, and, and so I'm still running. I'm thinking, God, give me a break. Does anybody else ever argue with God? You know, is it just me? Come on, let's get real here. That shell's not worth keeping. I got a couple of good ones in my hand. I'm looking for good shells. Kurt, go back and pick that one up. Well, I've been getting wiser in my old age enough to know that it's good to listen to God. So I turned around, went back, and sure enough, sitting right there in the sand with this broken shell. I picked it up and I put it in my hand. And at that moment, God said, I value the broken. And I just about had, you've seen me have meltdowns before. I'm here on the beach, you know, in this public place. And it just hit me so hard, so profoundly when God said, Kurt, I value the broken. What you would discard, what you would reject, what you would say is weak and of no value, that's exactly what I came for. I value the broken. And I've had these shells for years now. I keep them in my office to remind me. And it's not just that which looks together, that which looks like it's all perfect, that which looks great. And it's not to say that God rejects that either, but he, he values the broken. The truth is we all tend to be short-sighted. We tend to look at ourselves and others through only a human perspective. And what I want to encourage you today, I want to encourage you with this truth. God delights in you. In fact, if you're taking notes, write those words down. God delights in me. And for some of you, you're going to find it hard to even put that in writing. Oh, because you're going to have all the yeah buts. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but, but. You know, and, and listen, just embrace this profound and simple truth today. God delights in you. He has a special place, a special plan, and a special purpose for you. No matter what you see, or think right now, He has something just for you. Learn to see things in your life from God's perspective. To get there, okay, that's the first truth I want you to embrace this morning. To get there, however, reminds, uh, it requires us to, to realize something else, to, to do one thing, and it's number two in your outline. We must yield to and accept God's plan in faith. I can understand and begin to believe that God has something for me, that He's got a special purpose just for me, that He has something He wants me to do. But until I step out, yield to, which means I submit, I give up, I yield to and accept God's plan for my life in faith, that I'm never going to experience that thing that He has for me. I can live the rest of my days with this understanding. God has something special for me. But until I learn to say yes to Him, I'm never going to get there. The fact that God wants to use you and that He delights in using the small, the weak, is one thing. But until you and I say yes to Him, we'll never know and experience all that He has for us. Now, I've said yes to God many times. I have. I've said yes to God lots of times. But I've also said no to Him way too many times. There are times when God tugs on my heart and says, go tell that person about me. 
Don't share my love and my grace with that person. And I've said, eh, God, yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's not a good time for me. Oh, I don't know that person. Oh, I'm not ready to, I don't, you know, what if they ask me a question I can't answer? And there have been times when I said, no, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't think this is the right time for me to talk to that person. There have been times when God says, I want you to go and speak the truth and love to so-and-so about some sin in their life. And that's when I really go, oh, wait, time out, whoa. Who am I? I got my own stuff. You want me to go and talk to somebody else? Okay, I get to do it in love. That's fine. But I, you want me to go and say to somebody, hey, this isn't right. God doesn't want you to live like that. Oh, God. You, and I, there have been times I've said no. There have been times when God has said to me, I want you to give away that stuff or that money that you've collected. That thing that you were saving for, it's okay, but I want you to give that away to someone else to bless them. And you know what my normal response is to that? God, it's my hard-earned money. <laughs> you know, why? They probably got themselves in that pickle because of some stupid thing I did anyhow. Am I spiritual or what? Huh? I'm just a giant. I said no to God. But what absolutely impresses me about Mary is that she said yes. Despite what she knew about herself, despite what she understood about her life, in the end, she embraced God's plan in humble acceptance of His will. Without qualification, she submitted to God and His purpose for her. She didn't bargain. She didn't barter. She didn't try and beg her way out of it. She just said yes. Luke 1.38, May it be to me as you have said. That is an incredible statement. That is a woman saying to God, Yes, God, may it be to me. Your will. I want, whatever you want, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow you. And by the way, she did so at great risk. You need to understand, to put yourself again in the context of this story. She risked her reputation. She risked her relationship with Joseph. And frankly, she risked her life. She risked her reputation in that, you know, she's pregnant. And, you know, can you imagine trying to explain that to people? Uh, yeah, I, I'm still a virgin, and the baby inside of me is the Son of God. Anybody think she might have had a little bit of grief about that one? Uh-huh, Mary, right. You're still a virgin. And the baby's the Son of God. Uh-huh. She risked her reputation. Understand, small town, guys. What did people say? What would they say about her? She risked her relationship with Joseph. If you read on, you know the story. At one point, Joseph said, I, I'm just going to put her away silently. This is, I mean, in that culture, to be engaged, they required a writ of divorce to, to be unengaged. And, and he didn't want to disgrace her. He loved her too much for that, I think. But he said, I'm just going to kind of deal with this quietly. But Mary, don't you think she knew in that moment that she's thinking, Joseph ain't going to get this. How do I explain this to him? And, and imagine Joseph, Mary, you're killing me. What do you mean? You know, this is God. This, the Holy Spirit overshadowed you. And if you recall, until God spoke to him in a dream, he didn't get it or embrace it. But then he too said yes. She risked her life. According to the law in Deuteronomy 22, a woman who was found to be with child out of wedlock could be stoned to death. But Mary said yes. She said yes, God. How many times have I said no? Have you said no? In fear of what people would think or say. How many times have we said, uh-uh, God, not going to happen. Pick somebody else. 
But Mary said yes. She embraced God's plan for her despite the risk. And so Mary is this amazing example of faith and trust in God. Many years later, her son Jesus would speak these words to his disciples in John 6, 38. He said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. You know, one of the things we don't get, and we have our, our gray matter gets a little messed up with, is that he was all God, but he was all man. And he had this, this deity. He was all God, and yet he had this humanness. He dealt with the same questions, the same struggles that you and I deal with. And, and Jesus got this, though. He understood that God sent him, the Father sent him for this purpose, to do his will. Not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And even on the eve of his crucifixion, he yielded to and accepted God's plan. Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into, into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, and listened to his prayer. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus understood exactly what was going to happen, what he was going to face, what he was going to have to go through. And crucifixion was the worst way to die. Long, painful, harsh, abusive, embarrassing, everything about it, Jesus understood. He knew exactly what he was going to face. And on his face before God, on his knees, he said, Oh God, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus said yes to the Father. Here's the deal. Here's the thing. If you and I will yield to and accept God's plan in faith, then the impossible becomes the impossible. And we will experience His power in His life in an amazing way. The end result for Jesus, as you know, is our salvation and resurrection life. When we yield to and say yes to God, that's when we get to experience that abundant and full and amazing life that He has for us. I'm sure that many of you have seen or heard the... Um, the Salvation Army people ringing their bells with their little red buckets, which, by the way, last year at Christmas time, the holiday season, they took in over $93.5 million in coin and change around the world. But what you may not know is that the story of the Salvation Army beginning, it's the beginning of this, uh, this ministry, is really the beginning of a man saying yes to God. His name was William Booth. He was a Brit, and back in the 1800s, and back in 1865, here's a few things you might not have known about his beginning and the Salvation Army's beginning. The Church of England, the religious folks of the day, were extremely hostile towards Booth's activities. Lord Shaftesbury, a leading politician and evangelist at the time, described William Booth as the Antichrist, not the kind of thing you want to be labeled with, okay? One of the main complaints that people had against him was that he believed in the equality of men and women. But you didn't know that little fact, did you? In fact, he said that the only uh, reason there's a difference is because inadequate education and social custom make them seem inferior. But he promoted the advancement of women in that culture. Salvation Army members were imprisoned for open-air preaching. They were violently abused for siding with the Temperance Society, which was against the abuse of alcohol in that day. And all of these things, I mean, he did not have it easy. He didn't have it easy. But Booth kept on going. And today the Salvation Army is in over 109 countries. 
And every year, millions of people are fed. Millions of people are taken care of. The poor are blessed. And just this last year, millions and millions of people were assisted in, by the Salvation Army in disaster relief. Well, what's the whole point of this? It's more than just the ringing of a bell in a bucket. It's a one man. I want you, every time you hear that bell this, this Christmas season, to remember this story. One man said yes to God. And literally, hundreds of millions, literally hundreds of millions of people have been impacted over the last 140 years because he said yes to Jesus. You think there were times when William Booth thought, oh God, I don't know. Yeah, what are you doing? I don't, I don't get this. I'm not sure I'm the right guy. I don't know if this, the, the pressure, the, the, the struggle is so great. I, I, I mean, the Church of England doesn't like me, God. People don't get what I'm trying to do. Do you think there were times he struggled and wrestled? Absolutely. But he said yes to God. My heart for you today is that you'll see Mary's part in this story, in the Christmas story, and that it will encourage you to do at least two things. First, let it encourage you to see yourself in God's plan and place for you. Let it encourage you to see yourself from God's perspective. And I want you today to really believe. And if, you, if you've forgotten this, then, then dial this up. Remind yourself again. And if you've never heard this before, then grab a hold of this truth. God has chosen you. Now, he, He's chosen you for something unique and special. It's not about all doing the same thing. It's not about all being a pastor. Thank God. It's not, that's not the point. You don't think, well, I, to do that, I've got to do, I've got to be a missionary and go overseas somewhere. That's, no, God has uniquely called you. And whether it's to be a mom or a teacher, whether it's to be a banker or to work in a grocery store, or to be a male person, whatever it is, God has called you. And in that context, He has there something unique and special and a plan just for you. And He wants to reveal Himself through you. He's chosen you for something special. Remember that. That's the first thing. The second thing I want to encourage you with today is to be the kind of person who says yes to God. Now, I know that in my life, there will be other times when I will say no to God. I wish I could stand before you and say, I'm going to say yes forever. But the reality, truth is, I'm human and I'm weak at times. And there will be times and I'll say, oh, God, I, could we do this tomorrow? <laughs> Manana, God, could we put this off a little bit? I know there will be times when I'll wrestle with this as well. But I want you to choose God, to choose to say yes to Him. See that He's chosen you. And then be the kind of man, the kind of woman, the kind of person that even when you don't know or see or understand. And isn't that the struggle for most of us? We have these conditions. I'll say yes to you, God, if I get this figured out. As long as I understand where this is going to end up, as long as I see all what's involved here, I'll say yes to you. But let's be like Mary. Do you think she really got all that was going to take place? No. She knew some truths. She understood that God had chosen her. But again, despite what she didn't understand, Mary said yes to Him. See yourself as a person God's chosen. And then choose to say yes to Him. Let's pray together. Father, I ask You that You uh, right now 
would reach into each heart that's here and each mind, each life. And first, I, I pray, God, that you would give us, truly give us eyes to see. That we would see ourselves from a completely different perspective. That we would understand something that we perhaps have forgotten or have not understood before. That you've chosen us. That you've chosen us. Each of us. And that that would fill our hearts, Lord, with gratitude and awe and wonder. That we would today, Lord, leave this place with a sense of destiny because we have one in you. And then, Lord, I pray for every one of my friends in this place today that you would help them as you are helping me to be the kind of people who say yes to you. That we'll, we'll say yes, Lord, when you ask us, when you call us, when you invite us. We'll say yes, God, even when you take us out of our comfort zone and we don't get it and we're scared to death that we would be the kind of people who trust you enough to say, God, if this is you and if this is what you want, may it be to me as you have said. May it be to me. That we would be the kind of people who would pray just like Jesus prayed. Not my will, but thine be done, God. Not what I want, but what you want. Do it. And that we would embrace, Lord, your plan for our lives. And I know that as we do, God, amazing things will happen through us. And that people will look at us and see you. That in the end, you'll be the one who gets all the glory and all the honor. You'll be the one who draws people to yourself. And so I ask you to do that, Lord. Do that in our lives, I pray.